This season covers an abduction and murder that occurred in Middleburg, Florida in January of 1990. It's a true story, and I have relied heavily on public documents and interviews with family and people close to the investigation in order to tell it. As always, the credibility of the interviewees, as well as my own credibility as I relay the information that I have gleaned, is to be determined by you, the listener. Everyone is presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. I don't like victims of violent crimes getting lost in all the discussion about their cases. I also feel like the people who love them have a right to be heard. We need to listen to what they're saying and how these things affect them. This episode is my effort to introduce you to Terrell Steele Orcutt. Let you really see her and give her sister Meryl a chance to tell you how the murder of her sister affected her life and talk about her perceptions of this case over the years. If this family gets nothing else, if this case is never solved and justice is never done, I think this is the very least that we can do. Let her be heard. When people say, you know, I want you to get closure, yeah. I'm like, you know who gets closure? It's the, the lawyers, the mm-hmm. cops. They get closure. They closed the case and they feel good. They found their man and they, they get closure. You know, they, they do. I don't think the loved ones ever get closure. I mean, how's it going to get, how? How could you get closure? And I've had people to actually tell me, you have to forgive her murderer. I'm mm. like, why? Yeah. And they said, so you can heal. Is that possible? I don't know if that's even possible that you can heal from something like that. I, so I went on this thing trying to forgive whoever it was and, couldn't even start I didn't even know how to start to forgive I don't someone. I don't buy into that you have to forgive anybody you don't have to do shit you do whatever you need to do so. I'm like, I don't and that's where I winded up with that whole trying to forgive it was like torture for yeah. me and I'm like why am I torturing myself why should I have to forgive this guy that did this to my sister I should be angry with him and I am angry with him I think every person needs I'm gonna carry this because I need to carry this because it's mine to carry that's right and you do whatever you need to do it sucks it sucks to you know I hate feeling the guilt and people can tell me all day long not to but it's there and I own it and that's it yeah it's yours, so you can do it what you will. It's yours, you know. And when it comes to forgiveness, I don't... I mean, I'm glad if somebody can forgive somebody, their loved one's murderer. I don't know. They're a better person than I am. Well, I just it's can't. for them. Whatever they need to do to get through the day, is what. Uh, that's what you I, all need to do. What, yeah, it's, that's your, You do what you need to do yeah, to get through the day. You no, know, and I, I don't want to hate people because I think that's what causes cancer and, you know, illnesses. Mm-hmm. And so I try to not hate anybody else (laughs) if that makes sense I try to stay good with the karma stuff yeah in every other aspect of my life but that one particular one you know I want justice that's what I want I don't really care if I get closure I don't think I ever will but I would love to have some some kind of justice just some justice for her. I think she deserves that. She does. I think I deserve yeah. that. I think, and I, what you need, I, sometimes I think even more than justice, um, when you're in a situ- situation like you are, you need answers. 
all those open questions are not healthy, I don't think. When you don't know what happened, it's worse than knowing because you're just thinking of what all the possibilities. You know what I mean? Justice is great, but we know in our in our in our situation in our country, you don't always get justice. Cases don't always get closed. I kind of have put it in my mind. I'm always that person that always thinks of the worst situation. Mm -hmm. So I think I pretty much figured out what happened. And and if they ever went to court and the guys told us, it probably wouldn't be as bad as what I've thought in my head. Probably. So um, we know, I, I know she was sexually assaulted. I know she was raped. Whether she was raped before she died or after, I'm betting both. I'm betting he raped her before and after. So if he got up there and said, yeah, I killed her, she she hit me and I lost control and I killed her and then I raped her, I'd be like, okay, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. You know? Yeah. But I had, she was brutally beaten and raped and then murdered. And I know that the guy's a freak and, and probably doesn't know why he did it because he just does it. You know, but I want to see him suffer for that. I want to see him punished for that. Yeah, would even if it means me going to the prison and sitting in front of him and going, you know, this this is what you did. Well, I hope I know you weren't thinking that you were doing this, but this is the results of what you did. I I guess I'm a a little bit different. That the unanswered questions drive me nuts. That's probably why I do what I do, because I'd like to dig and research and find out. So not knowing really drives me crazy, and that's why I'll take any case as far as I can, because it just makes me nuts. Not just for me, but that the families would not, I mean, that family members could die without knowing. the week that she was missing, that was the worst week of my life, because there was unanswered questions we didn't know. We didn't know. she was. I knew after about the third day she was dead. Everybody else around me was like, she's alive, but I felt it. I knew she wasn't alive then. And one of the psychics that were around hovering, you know, come up to me and says, you know, she's dead, right? And I go, yep. Oh, and somebody, one, somebody related to me because a lot our family came out of the woodwork from all over. They were like, how can you not lose hope like that? I said, I have lost hope. I just know she's dead. That's all there is to it. How do you know? I said, I feel it. I just know she's dead. She would have been home somehow. Somehow she'd have figured out a way, something, to get her ass home, to get a message to us, to somehow something, you know. Was there anyone she was having any problems with at the time? Anyone? No. No. No, not at all. She, everybody that met her just adored her. Well, what she was the sweetheart. What was her personality and I'm not like? I'm saying that because she's dead. People do that. You know, they take people that are pieces of shit mm-hmm. and they turn them into angels when they die. Yeah. You yeah. know, and that's why that kind of drives me crazy because she really was a nice person. I mean, I'm not saying that she couldn't be a bitch if she had to. Anybody can. Mm-hmm. But she really was one of those thoughtful, kind type of people. And I think that people target those kind of people, like serial killers and stuff like that. If they, yeah, if they, if they follow them, if it's not just a crime of opportunity, this doesn't feel like crime of opportunity. This feels like someone well, was targeting if her. If it was a crime of opportunity, even then, they're not going to pick the wrong person. 
because I guarantee you, in a crime of opportunity, I've been there, and they could have picked me. I, I bet you in my lifetime, you know how they always say everybody has met at least so many serial killers in their lifetimes mm-hmm. without even knowing it? I'm the kind of person that have been in those seedy situations and those seedy places and never even gave it a thought. You know, I've always had the guts and the balls to go here, go there, do this, do that. She was always a timid, high-strung, nervous type person would never she always was very cautious you know me i'm like let's throw a raft in this river and see where it goes well you could die because it's got like white water rapids in it and you don't happen to have a helmet or a vest you know but i they needed people like me because they had to discover america somehow right mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so she would have never done that Her type of personality would have never discovered America. My type would have. It's not a bad thing, but God knows how many serial killers I've probably come across that did not pick me because they'd have got their asses whipped. But that's what I I mean. Way too much trouble. That's what I mean. The serial killer didn't just learn that by driving by her. They would have had to encounter her to know that about her, if that's the case. Someone had to, you know what I mean? So, she could have went to a convenience store and they could have just could tell. Well, She's a little been... tiny. Soaking wet, that girl didn't weigh hardly 100 pounds. She was. Um, she had just started dating this guy two, three months before. Um, they weren't hot and heavy dating. Like, you know, like a lot of people when they start dating, they're like seeing each other every day, every hour, every second. They had one or two dates and that's it. Um they knew each other through the bank. She worked at the bank, and he repoed cars. And she, she would give him work, basically. She met, So and, she met him through the bank. At the bank is where she met him. Yeah. Okay. And um, she would shoot him some work to go repo cars and stuff like that. And he seemed like a nice enough guy. She was single and dating other guys as well. And that's, she's a very cautious, very slow-moving type person when it comes to guys and stuff, very choosy. Um, I remember when she was 15, just to give you a little heads up on how she is, what kind of person she is, uh, we were sitting on my mom's front porch, and she says, I'm so tired. She was a high schooler, and she had girlfriends that were having babies in school and going all the way, and... She goes, I'm so tired of getting dumped all the time. And we always, we're a military family, so we always uh, lived around military bases until we moved to Florida. Um, she, she, so she was dating a really young, she was 15, I think he was like barely 18, GI. And uh, I think I even introduced him. And she goes, I'm so sick and tired of being dumped by all these guys. And I'm like, yeah, why, why are they dumping you? She goes, because I won't have sex with them. Mm. And I go, oh, really? And she goes, yeah. She goes, so maybe I should. And I go, what? Why? Why would you do that? Why would you have sex with them? Just because you don't want to be dumped? And she goes, well, what do you think? You know, because my mom never talked about sex to any of us. We didn't even know how babies were made until we went to the doctor when we were pregnant. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
because they didn't teach that shit in school either. Yeah, right. Not then, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I remember my doctor saying, do you know how this happened? I'm like, well, you have sex. <laughs> he was like, no, I mean, do you know how this happened? I was like, uh, no. <laughs> and so, anyway, she, she was like, well, you know, they'll go and put their hand up my shirt, and I'm like, uncomfortable, and I tell them to stop. He goes, she goes, and then next thing I know, they're, they're not coming over anymore. They don't want to see me anymore. They don't want to have nothing to do with me, and I'm like, well, then you don't want to have anything to do with them. Right. I was like, why would you want somebody like that? I says, if they can't wait for when you're ready, she goes, well, do I have to be married to be ready? And I said, no. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not mom. I'm the big sister. Right, right. You know, but I was also kind of religious at this time. Mm-hmm. And I go, you know, I think when you know it's right, is when it's going to be right for you. I says, you know, your hormones are acting out right now, you you know, but you're a very smart girl. Don't trust everything your body tells you. You'll know when you meet the right guy. Just give it time. You know, I says, if they are good enough to wait m- several months for you, then they might be good enough to give, because you can only give that away one time, and then it's done. Right. It's gone. You have one time, that's a gift that you're going to give somebody. And you may not marry that guy, and he may not be the love of your life. So you need to make sure that whoever you give that gift to is somebody you won't regret giving it to many years down the road. She took that to heart, and so she got dumped quite a bit because she wouldn't go all the way. And she winded up giving it to the guy she married. And they dated for about two years. They got married because she wasn't really wanting to get married right then. She was madly in love with him, but she didn't want to marry him right away. She wasn't sure he was going to be the one she wanted to spend the rest of her life with. But she did love him. Um, But he got orders. He was special forces, just like our dad. And so he got orders to go to Okinawa. And so she, he told her he wanted to get married before they went. He went to Okinawa, so they kind of rushed this marriage. Got married, had a big wedding, and so she and I were very, very, very close. We were best friends too. And I had moved to Florida right before, so she couldn't stand being that far away from me like 12 hours I think it was because we were in North Fayetteville North Carolina and she wanted to move down there and so mom said when we get out of when you get out of high school graduate high school you can go down there and go to college and I'll move down there too well she met you know well we knew Tim her husband and we used to go out dancing line dancing country dancing with him and he's a real good dancer. And so they got married. I was her maid of honor. And she took her two-week honeymoon at my house <laughs> in, Florida, in Florida, which, you know, in retrospect, I'm like, poor Tim. Yeah. <laughs> because basically she missed me and wanted to hang out with me. So mm. she kind of forced him to go down to Florida to, to hang out with me and, and uh, stayed at my house, you know while they were on their honeymoon and that kind of sucks because he was going he was leaving in two weeks to go to Okinawa so they never really got their own place they never lived together as husband and wife 
because as soon as they went back to Fayetteville, he had to pack his stuff out of the barracks and go to Okinawa. Now, she went to Okinawa twice, I think, to visit with him. The second time she went, she the first time she went, she knew something was wrong, and she told me. And I said, well, it feels weird because you haven't seen him for a while. That kind of stuff happens when you separate like that. Right. It just feels weird. You just got to give it time. The second time she went, he sat her down and told her that he will always have a special place in his heart for her. But he had met somebody else. and It was a little Japanese girl. Mm. And he wanted a divorce. So they actually got an annulment okay. because they had never lived together. So they were able to get an annulment instead of a divorce. And it was very amicable. They stayed friends because she wanted the best for him and he wanted the best for her. But she was very hurt. Mm-hmm. She, was, she was devastated. But she put on a brave face and acted like it was no big deal, um, you know, and everything. And she started dating around and she she dated a couple guys that she knew when did she, she was where in did north she live? carolina oh, okay she so she was still in north carolina at that time when she no, separated. she was living in florida by then she moved to florida as soon as he went to okinawa okay okay and yeah she she moved down to florida as soon as he left for okinawa and she got out of, she was out of high school when she got married and then he moved to florida and she moved down to I mean, he moved to Okinawa, she moved to Florida so that she could be closer to me. My mom transferred her job down. And they, my mom and her, got a place out in Middleburg. And first they lived in a house, they rented a house right behind where I was. And then they found property out in Middleburg and moved out there. And I lived about three miles down the road from them in a trailer park. But it was, uh, well, it might have been a little more than three miles, but it was in jacksonville my guilt is she would have never lived in florida if it wasn't for me you well, know i was the one that was supposed to protect her she would tell every guy this is you know when i would meet guys that she'd bring over for me to meet they'd go oh so you're the one i'm supposed to be afraid of yeah and they'd go yeah she told me that uh if i ever hurt her that she'd kick my ass and every guy that she so i was like her protector and so there's that plus the fact that she moved there to be closer to me so that's my lot in life i just have to deal with it yeah that's not any fun to deal with though with the proliferation of true crime on tv and podcasts i think we have a tendency to think of them as cases and victims rather than personalize it enough to even come close to understanding how a single act of violence can change a family member forever. But that's what it does. For family and friends, there remains and will always remain a gaping hole where once a loved one resided. And even at moments where they think they've come to terms with the loss, that absence can creep up on them in unexpected moments. What, how, what was the age difference between um, Terrell and your little brother? Um, three years. Did he live there at the same time in Middleburg also? No, he lived in Jacksonville in an apartment. Okay. He was in the Navy. Gotcha. And no matter where he went, she would fly out to make sure his ship, wherever it docked, make sure she was there when his ship docked. Hmm. When he went to San Diego... Just to dock, she flew out and met his ship. When he went to Puerto Rico and his ship docked in Puerto Rico, she was there to meet him. 
just for the day, just to greet his ship. It was their thing. You know, mm. that was their thing. Wherever his ship docked, she was there. It docked in New York, she was there. He'd get off the ship, she was there. He never got off the ship, and somebody wasn't there waiting for him. She was always there. And so after he died, after she died, his next ship docked in Norfolk, Virginia. And so I felt it was my job to be there. Mm. So I was there. He wasn't expecting that. So he was like, I was there for two hours waiting for him to come off that ship. <laughs> and everybody was gone. There was like a few sailors just sort of meandering around. And I saw him walking with his head down because there's no cell phones or nothing back then. And he's just walking with his head down, just looking at the ground, walking. And I just walked up to him and stuck my head up underneath his. Said, hey, what you doing? I've been out here for hours. And he grabbed me and gave me the biggest hug I'd ever gotten in my life. I couldn't believe it. He was like, if I'd have known you were here, I'd have been out here two two hours ago. He was probably dreading it. You know, that walk without his sister. You know, his little sister wasn't there. This next story about Terrell touched me almost as much as that last one. but. In this one, you get a real insight into who Terrell was. There are a few times while I was speaking to her sister where I got choked up, and this was one of them. Sometimes we'd go out with a bunch of girls to see the male strippers and things like that. We, you know, she was a lot of fun. She just didn't do drugs of any kind. And she was going to be a manager of her branch, so she was accomplished, too, at a nice young age. Yeah, super smart, super smart, straight-A student. Once in a while, she'd skip a few classes, like when she was in college, and she'd have me run to the house to get her report card out of the mailbox so that Mom wouldn't see that she made an A- or B. And I said, you know you're an adult now, right? You don't have (laughs) to go to school every day. Mom doesn't really care. I know, but I, it's just the way it is. And she stayed, when she when Mom found out she wasn't a virgin, she stayed in her room. She was 19, and she stayed in her room for two weeks. Did not come out to eat or nothing. Mom came over to my house and said, will you go talk to your sister? I said, what's going on? She goes, she won't come out of her room. She won't talk to me. She won't look me in the face. She won't nothing. I said, what'd you do? She goes, nothing. She goes, she had an appointment to get on the pill, and I found out that she wasn't a virgin. I said, oh, my God, she's got to be devastated. <laughs> but, and I, 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 so I went over there, and I go, What's, I'm not her baby anymore. And I was like, oh, my God, quit crying. You'll always be her baby, always. Mm. And I yelled downstairs, Mom, is she your baby? Yes, God, yes. She'll always be my baby, you know, and that's what got them back together, you know, kind of. They never were apart, but, you know. She was just that kind of a girl, you know. She was just, and she wouldn't shop. Oh, she was such a clothes snob. She would not shop at, like, Walmarts or something like that. She had to go to the boutiques. Oh. She always, when she got dressed, it was always shoes and socks and bra and panties first. I can't tell you how many times I've seen her walking around the house in bra, panties, shoes, and socks. <laughs> I was like, That's how do you cute. put feet in the jeans and stuff? I don't know. But mm. that's, what, that's what she did. And when they found her, that's how they found her, in those, with just that on. I want to give Meryl a lot of credit because she has been quite the pit bull on this case. We talked so long. She gave me so many threads to pull. 
and she researched similar cases and even passed one along to Detective Schoonover, one that he mentioned in an earlier episode, the one where he said he was awaiting results on a Georgia case where they were going to compare the nail clippings. Four months after Terrell's death, and this is something I found out this year, um, by me, about every January, February, I go into this stump, and I get to ranting and raving and pissed off and depressed and so I get all just angry and I start posting lots of stuff on her page you know and and picking on the cops I mean I'm just mean (laughs) (laughs) and um, somebody I, I paid five bucks on Facebook or something to put it out there to get some attention yeah, ads. They do that. I do it on my down and away page sometimes too. Yeah. I I've never done it before, and I thought, you know, it's five bucks. Who cares? Yeah. And they gave me a free something like twenty bucks worth. Yeah. Something. And it would reach more people, and I was like, okay, I'll do it. Why not? I got five bucks. I'm working all this, you know, eighty hours a week. Why not? And so I did it. Well, lo and behold, this. Um, guy a bunch of people actually a couple like four or five come on there and said wow this is so much like um you know if i can get her name because um, i know her name like at the back of my hand and now i can't even think of it because i'm wanting to tell you what it is um anyway they were like uh it sounds so much like her case you should really look at her case and so i googled her case right and I was like, holy shit, she looks like her, and it's quite similar. She was, except she was 17, but she was a little tiny thing, blonde hair, just like my sisters, had that stupid old school. I would tell her all the time, hey, the 70s called, they want their hair back. Yeah. <laughs> I did that poodle poof in the front, uh-huh. you know? and so did this little 17-year-old. This little 17-year-old, though, lived in Georgia, like 150 miles away. And I'm like, okay, well, that's different. So I Googled the map, right? And I looked, and it was just two turns. You make two turns on a highway, and you're in her town. Mm. And it's like almost a straight shot. And I'm like, wow, is that weird? And it turns out she was out with friends that night doing something for the school. And she said, I have to be home by 10. She left in the car. She stopped at a convenience store, got her a soda, and that was the last time she was seen. And they found her a week later in the woods, and she was burnt. They set her body on fire. And this is four months after Terrell. They believe they set her body on fire to destroy evidence. Yeah. Well, it turns out when, when I was going through this case, I was like, there's so many similarities, and she looks so much like Terrell. And it's such a straight shot. So I sent this. I called the detective that's working her case now. And I said, check this out. And he looks at it. And he's like, oh, my God. He says, he got goosebumps reading her case because it was so similar. And her car was left on the side of the road running. Same thing. Right? Mm. And um, he says, I'm, I'm going to go down there and talk to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation who was taking over this case, who had taken this case on. Now, they were being super, super tight-lipped. It's been 29 years, and their parent, her parents, this was their only child. 
her parents didn't know how she died, didn't know nothing, didn't know anything about this case at all. I said, you need to give those parents some kind of something. I said, you need to tell them to, to tell the parents something. In an effort to further describe Terrell's personality to me, her sister Meryl told this story, and it just so happened that an important detail emerged. Now, a couple of weeks before this happened, she came home scared half to death, thought like she was being followed. She really? She thought she was being followed, yes. And she told my mom that. She told all of us that. She was scared, she was white as a ghost. She said, thought some guy was following her. When I ran outside, I didn't see anybody. Did she but say they were following in her car or? In a, a car and they were following her. And did she her describe car. the car? Uh, I think she said they were in a pickup truck. And uh, she she didn't know what was going on or why somebody would follow her. She was a scaredy cat type of person. I mean, blood-curdling scream. I run back into my mom's bedroom to find out what's going on, and there's this teeny tiny little spider up in the corner. And she's shaking, standing on the bed like a monster's in the room, pointing at it, screaming at the top of her lungs. It's a grown woman. And I looked at her, I said, what, are you crazy? And I reached up and smashed it. It was like a little tiny spider. Not a big one, not one you could hear running across the room or anything. Just something you could smash with your thumb and not even notice, like the size of a gnat. Okay, spider massacre aside, did anyone notice that the car Terrell thought was following her that day was described as a pickup truck? Okay, did they, do you, anything else about it? Any, do you remember anything else that she said about it? Do you remember what day of the week it was? Was she coming home from work? What, anything at all that you remember about that incident? Do you remember if she was on her way home from work when this happened? Was it day, she was night? was on her way home from work. Was it daytime or nighttime or what? It was still light out. Okay. We've had descriptions of a truck being a possibility in this case as the perpetrator's vehicle. So that's something to keep in mind. If it was someone that was following her, It would go more along with the theory of someone targeting her earlier than that day she died. And then you have to ask yourself how that would connect with the other facts of the case as we know them. Like, what if this same person ran into her that morning, let's say at the Minute Mart? If you're going along with that line of thinking, you'd have to think that this was probably someone who also lived locally and may have been following her to learn her schedule. And you know, the one thing that I was thinking of when you said that they found her ankles, the, the shoes dirty, and then yeah. if someone, that that sounds like one person, because if they're dragging her by her wrists and her legs are dangling, that's not someone carrying the other end. So unless right. the other person's busy with something, then, you know, that sounds like one. It's, there's a lot yeah, of... Yeah, it also sounds like she's dead, because yeah. if she's alive, she'd been kicking her Right, feet. right. So that, whatever, wherever that occurred... But that's like, then where did they take her? Maybe, you know, to drag her out of the car well, like I that? Think, I think that was when they probably, that might have been when they took her to place her body. Yeah, out of the car, dragged her out of the car. Right. Their vehicle. Their, their vehicle to put her in the woods there. And there are people that say that they thoroughly searched that part of the woods earlier in that week while they, she was missing they said they went all through that area with a fine tooth comb on horseback and everything and she was not there that's what they say whether we can believe that or not you know well, I if, if what I read was right and they, she was just it wasn't far down that Lee Road it was 
pull just far enough so that no one's going to see me dumping the body, then it makes sense that they just pulled down a dirt road, you know, or a... Well, they went down the, the almost all the roads off of any main road is dirt uh-huh. back then. And it wasn't that far down Lee Road. Right. And when you go in there, I went in there because they had put flowers there or they'd found her body and everything. And so I went down there after they had removed all the tape and everything um, from the crime scene. Um, so I went down there, and I had my cousins with me. And you could see the they had chopped the bush down, the palomino bush. So it was gone. But you could see the perfect imprint of her body in the brown dirt because it was darker there than the brown dirt around it. And I thought that was kind of odd, you know. And I said, look, you can see her arm out here and her body and everything. But I she was thought, on a, she was over a stump though, right? Yeah. So you'd see the part, bottom part of her that body and her arm? touching the ground. Right. Well, that would have just I, been. I said, that is so odd. I said, what, what did that if, if there's no blood here? And they said, your body fluids, right. your water and oils yeah. from your body. And I said, oh, okay. And I knelt down, and right when, I've always had a phobia of maggots. Okay. Matter of fact, it's only been maybe 10 years that I could even say that word. Mm-hmm. I've had it since I was a child, and that's my only phobia. I just, you know, now I'm like normal people. I think I don't have the phobia. I think I just don't like them like normal people don't like them. Yeah. But I used to pull my hair out when I saw one and flip out, black out, you know, and run. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a horse that had that, or yeah. animal that has a fight or flight. Reaction, the yeah. The fight, I would flight. Mm. And, yeah, I would just take off running and wouldn't stop until I collapsed. And I wouldn't have a clue that I was running. I was out of my body. I don't even know where I was, just black. Um, so, anyway... About the time I brushed my hand, I put my hand down there because I wanted to touch her. Yeah. Right? The top, just barely top layer of soil moved away. I pushed it with my hand accidentally, and there were maggots there, and I lost it. And I could hear my cousin going, Meryl, no. It was almost like it was all in slow motion because she's a nurse, and she knew what was about to happen. And I got Mm. tackled by my husband (laughs) in the woods. Um but I don't remember anything after moving my hand over the dirt and seeing the maggot. That's all I remember. Jeez. Yeah. And, a... But I do remember clearly, though, seeing her body shape, you know, with parts missing, you know, because of the stump. And that does sort of indicate that she was there for a little while. The decomposition occurred there. Yeah. 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 Her body fluids did go into the ground there. And like I said, part of her hair, I guess, and her scalp was found in another section, probably 20 feet away. Because I asked them, because uh, we saw news clippings on TV, and I noticed there were two crime scene tapes. And I asked on the news, and I asked them about that second set of tape, and they were, like, trying to blow me off. And I said, what was that second set of tape? And they said, okay, we found part of her hair and her skull over there. And I said, how would that happen? They said, well, when you're, you blow up, and then you shrink, and when you shrink, your skin gets loose and falls off, and that may be an animal. Animal, yeah, that that's common, even a, with bones. Uh, yeah. A tangled m- 
mass, and then it was almost like greenish, the hair. Yeah, that, that's I was, common. Can I, have, can I have a piece of her hair? I wanted a piece of her hair for my mom. Mm. And they said, that's not possible, that her hair was mess, a mess. If I could ask you guys something right now after hearing that, my plea would be for you to put me on pause and say a little prayer if you're a praying person. Or if you're not, send a positive vibe. Make a wish. Do whatever it is that you do when you want to send a message to the universe and make that message in the name of Meryl and the rest of her family. I don't know a lot of people who could come out the other end of something like this and still be a whole functioning person. I can't even fathom how you'd be able to visit the spot where your loved one's bodily fluids were spilled and be able to even come away from there not wanting to destroy everything in your wake in a fit of rage from that moment to the last moment you draw breath. I don't know how they do it. I also talked to Meryl about the cop theory because I wanted to give her an opportunity to flesh her thoughts out on that. I think she has valid reasons for feeling the way she felt and I wanted you to hear them. So why did the police let that become the narrative of this case all these years? Why did, did this case just get away from them? Because if you've oh, got a witness- they have no experience at all in this type of homicide, none. They told us that right off the bat. The sheriff, Sheriff Bray, all of them told us right off the top, we do not handle these kind of homicides. We've never had one like this. We've always known it was like a cousin, a nephew, or uncle, or brother, sister, you know, somebody who killed somebody and their, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. It was never just a decent girl just disappears out of the blue and they find her a week later murdered. They said they had never, ever had this first type of homicide case of this type they've ever had. Okay, so here's where I'll so, tell you I know the first mistake happened. Because remember, back in the day, they had no body. They didn't have a homicide at um, on the 21st. They didn't yeah, have anything we, until a week later. So they treated right. this as, but they, but it is written right at the top of the report, foul play. It says right. missing person foul play. So they had, they knew something was wrong, but they didn't do a lot of the things that they might have done on a homicide case for a week later. Let's just be honest about that. They didn't well, her, do some of those her things. Entire family, every friend that she had that they talked to the day that she disappeared. The bank that she worked at, all of that convinced them that she did not just up and disappear on her own. Yeah. Because they were like, are you sure she didn't just get tired of living out here with your mom and just want to take off? And I go, no. And leave she her purse and then her car running on the side of the road? Yeah, just want a new identity. Did she have some, were there drugs? She was like anti-drugs. She was anti pretty much everything. Here, I think we have an opportunity because... The, the whole of Middleburg thinks that cops did it, okay? So if we can just put out enough that we say, here, we've actually got someone who saw her that morning. So that pretty much negates that. Unless this person right. is either lying or he was pretending to be a cop, then, right. then you know. That, I believe that that was mostly my fault. No, it wasn't. Because Don't blame yourself I, I because. Really, I really do because I used to be a cop. thing you do is secure a crime scene yeah. and the first thing I was told that day right from the cops was that the on the first officer to arrive at the scene let 
gawkers from the neighborhood come running around the place and they covered up. I said, don't you have tire tracks? And they were like, no, they were destroyed from the other vehicle. Um, did they say they had tire tracks that got destroyed or did they not say we didn't see any because there's a difference there? They said there was no way of getting any. They said there was thousands upon thousands of cigarette butts. Um, so they couldn't even get cigarette butts because he was allowing people to smoke and look and touch the car and do this. And you know what that. else he might have done? He might have pulled his car right up behind her, which would have effectively destroyed any, you know, right. that's, that's true. too. That's and in the picture, too. the picture that we I found of her, the front of the car, because I have one of the front and one of the back. The one of the front, there's a, there's a line of cars back there parked on the sand right there. Right. I saw that. I saw that. It's the first time I've seen that picture. Yeah. I, I, when you said it, yeah. I saw that and I was like, wow, okay. Um, see, but at the beginning, they were thinking that whoever took her must have pulled up either beside her on the street yeah. or in front of her to stop her because she would have gotten it left. But what you said about him getting close to her side, forcing her off the road, yeah, makes total sense in my brain because she she knew that if she got it, she first of all wouldn't have wanted her car to have a single scratch on it right and second of all she would have felt like she would have gotten in trouble if that would have happened yeah when you're when you when you're on the road in the face of someone who is aggressive let's say what you want to do is just get out of their way i've been in that right. situation before so, so over, exactly right? yeah i mean you naturally would do that just go buddy just go it yeah it would have terrified her but she would have pulled over in that and i never even thought about that situation never even occurred to me because i was so focused on it being a cop or somebody pretending well, to be a cop. but let me tell you something i want you to not blame yourself for this and let me tell you why i have gone back and read all the articles i can find online and they are fueling that fire all they would have to say is we have a witness that saw her pulled off the road. It wasn't a police officer. All, that's all they would have to do. I understand that they don't want to give information away about the, that witness, maybe. I don't know what they're thinking. But at this point, they're harming the case by letting it go. They're harming it. If a witness saw her pull off the road and a cop came along after. But there was no know. time. That's the thing. The, the timeline is very tight. The guy that first, here's how it works. I wrote the timeline last night so I could make sure in my head I was right. 545 is the time that not only that he saw her around 5.40, now remember, these are approximate. That is also the exact time that the guy who saw the car the first time abandoned saw it. So clearly saw it before 5.45. And the couple that heard her, heard the screech said it was 5.30. So they've only got, that, there's, a, there's a, only a 15 minute time frame. There's no one came along during that time. Because if they did, if they did, the guy that went out his front door and saw the car pulling away, would have probably seen something. That he, Another car pull yes. up, yeah. In the final episode of the season, I'll discuss the hunter. Stay tuned.